Okay. Okay. Hello, <laughs> welcome to Cold Pizza Party. Welcome back. I'm Adam. I'm Lubitsa. Uh, we need a new tagline. Okay. We don't talk about... Our tagline is normally, what, like, Welcome to Cold Pizza Party, I'm Adam and Lubitsa. We talk about leftist politics and TV. What Reality TV? Uh, no. Now that I'm thinking about it, I forget. Okay. No. We if we say... had just gone through the motions. Yeah. Okay. Welcome to the Cold Pizza Party podcast. My name is Lubitsa. I'm Adam. And this is a podcast where we talk about leftist politics and no this is a podcast where we talk about <laughs> politics and tv our politics oh. are leftist and our tastes in tv is pretty trashy that's right thank you <laughs> <laughs> okay um but yeah you know we don't always talk about tv today well, we talk about politics about yeah every yeah we usually almost always talk are we about gonna do the sextant quiz or what are we doing we'll today? do that at a different time okay we'll uh She's Lubitsa is referring to one of many episodes we've started and not finished. <laughs> um, but today we'll talk about we'll do our recommendations, and then after that we'll talk about your fashion thing, right? And also, that's not going to be that long. We should also talk about um, whichever one you want to do first. But we should also talk about um, the like issue about Bernie's campaign and people saying they're not oh, being yeah, paid fifteen dollars. And, uh, yeah, we, you could also talk about Netroots a bit if you want your experiences in the past at Netroots Nation and whatnot. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so, recommendations? Do you want to go first? Sure. Uh, my recommendation is for a YouTube video. Um, there's a woman named Maggie Mae Fish. She used to work for Cracked. Um, she's, like, pretty funny, but she's also clearly very smart and very good at doing a lot of research and making her own YouTube videos, which she does now. And, um, she has a lot of good... Excuse me, I just had a little cry. <laughs> uh, she has a lot of good YouTube videos, but the one that I would like to recommend, uh, to you guys is the one on the Jaclyn Hill lipstick controversy. Mm. Uh, so if you don't know, I oh, don't this know, was a you good must video. have been under a rock, but uh, yeah. in the last uh, month or so, um, so there's a beauty YouTuber named Jaclyn Hill. Uh, she's a very big YouTuber, and um, like she has millions uh, of followers. And she um, released her own lipstick line. And it was the first time she's released something under her name. And um, people started very quickly complaining that there were bits of fuzz, seemingly bits of mold, hairs. Yeah, people eventually started cutting the lipsticks up and finding bits of metal and shards and plastic and all kinds of weird shit in there. Uh, so it became like a huge controversy in the beauty yeah. slash YouTube community. And um, what she does is she kind of takes that as like a case study for capitalism. Yeah, Maggie Mayfish. Yes. And she talks about Jacqueline. She talks about that and how like why this would happen in capitalism, why capitalism isn't the 
uh, perfect sort of Prager U uh, example that you know they would like to use, which is like, oh, competition will drive better and better products, and of course people would have to you know pay with their uh, business if they put out faulty products. So no one would ever do that, which is why capitalism is self-regulating. Of course, we know that that's not true. So she uses this as an example of why that's not true. And she goes through uh, Jacqueline Hill's history as a YouTuber um, and releasing products and all of the various shady practices that she um, and the beauty companies she collaborated with along the way um, used, like uh, suggesting that things were going to be limited uh, release to drive sales, then it turns out, no, actually, we're going to add it to the main yeah. collection. There's no reason for you to rush to spend your money on it. Um, she talks about talk- the intersection of like being a YouTube influencer, you know, and kind of the business aspect. Yeah. And the parasocial relationship and how yeah. she monetizes that and why um, the like you are the commodity for Jacqueline Hill as like a viewer because she can trade you in for money and power and influence. Um, and that's why she doesn't care that much about the products as yeah. much as um, having a, a massive following and stuff like that. Uh, and she also looks back at Jacqueline Hill's family and talks about her oh, yeah. father who was this um, like, and on top of being this massive hog farmer in <laughs> Illinois right. Uh, he also has a car accident, gets a massive, like, $4 million settlement, then uses that to start very shady ministry programs yeah, yeah. where all the money is, like, you know, goes to them tax-free. Yeah. We don't need to spoil the okay, whole video, but was... she clearly, like, learns shady tactics from Yes, and, and then she employs it with Kim Kardashian yeah. at one point, which is <laughs> fascinating. Um, so, yeah, it was really incredible, like... I, I feel like I live at the sort of intersection of like um, fashion and politics and like makeup and politics. And I always notice things, although I've never done this deep of a dive into it, but I always notice stuff like this. And I think like I want to share it with like our listeners and people largely because these examples are everywhere. And I think these are more interesting and relatable examples than, (laughs) I don't know, like whatever some vulture capitalist is doing or whatever. Um, but she like really like impressed me with this like video and this deep dive that she did and she does such a great job laying it out that I think um, I'm like kind of jealous and upset that I didn't make the video, <laughs> you know? but it's yeah. really, really good. And I really highly recommend it. One day soon you'll make, you'll make some videos one day, I think. Yeah. Okay. So my recommendation, I finished The Gate by uh, Natsume Soski, a Japanese novel from like 1908 or something like that i guess it's sort of like apparently a classic of you know modern japanese fiction Mm -hmm. modern meaning like modernist period and i it's really good um it's one of those so i picked it up because i also had this book that i forget if i recommend it or not called origins of modern japanese literature by karatani kojin and uh this book is about the edo period when soski was writing and it's kind of an examination of Japan adopting that like Western mindset through culture and art. So it's a great look at not just what was going on in Japanese literature of the time. That's like 30% of the book. Most of the book is a great way to, especially if, you know, like I am, you're born in this culture, to sort of understand it 
from the perspective of, of somebody who's between cultures, you know? So it's a great description of like how linear perspective functions in painting, but also in literature mm. and how Japanese literature changes in a very quick condensed period of time when it starts to adopt some of those um, artistic influences from outside its own culture. So both of those are a really great recommendation if you're interested in that. Uh, you know, Caritani's book is going to be good because it has a forward from Frederick Jameson. And the novel's really cool. Um, you know, when I was like a teen and I started watching artsy movies and stuff, I felt like, oh, this is so cool because nothing happens, you know? And um, I didn't realize that there were Japanese novels where that happens that are 100 years old. Yeah. <laughs> it's uh, just a really cool look at a person living in that modernization period who's kind of straddling the class boundary and just him and his wife trying to like live their life and all the tension is kind of you know in the gaps between what does and doesn't happen and what he's nervous about happening that might not come to pass and stuff it's really cool and it's just really beautifully written i have the translation by uh well it doesn't say on the front but the introduction is by pico Iyer. so if you see that copy that's the one to get Cool. I also thought we could personally recommend staying in Yelma, Washington for July 4th. Yelm. Yelm, Washington for July 4th. <laughs> uh, we had an Airbnb that day yeah. and we were driving home. Um, we kind of got close to town around dark on July 4th. And I guess they don't have laws in that part of Washington and <laughs> they don't no organize. Laws at all. <laughs> no laws at all. And they don't organize fireworks displays. So uh, around our Airbnb for. We got there, and they were already going, and yeah. for another two hours, a bunch of people in the neighborhood in different places were like just setting off. Like, the people next to us were yeah. just setting off massive fireworks. Yeah, it's like a 360, the only 360-degree firework um, <laughs> exhibition I've ever seen. Yeah, we were, like, outside at first, and we were, like, enjoying it, but then I was like, man, it really smells like, you know, it's that kind of, like, fireworks smell, like, kind yeah. of, like, almost fishy, but not quite, I don't know, smell. But then, um, I re like, since it was dark, we didn't notice that it was so smoky, but then I, like, looked at a street lamp, and I realized it was, like, foggy, and there was, like, fireworks smoke everywhere, so we had to, like, go inside because it was, like... It was intense. It yeah. was so cool. But it was really fun to And watch. we were... So we were driving home from, like, the forests, you know? The, the dense, rainforests. The rainforests, and... Like, as we're getting close to our town where we're staying, we drive through, like, the reservation town. And just everybody in town is just lined up on either side of the street. And just fireworks are going off above yeah. us. <laughs> That's cool. And they're just setting it off for themselves, too. It was really cool. We can also personally recommend fry bread now because we yeah, tried we Native American fry bread for the first time. And it was cool. very good. Um, so, yeah. Cool stuff. Yeah. Okay, so let's talk about the the fashion topic that you have for us. Well, I just have, basically for like a couple years now, really, like I feel like maybe since 2017 or so, people have been talking about how, obviously like we've talked about too, how like 80s style is back, and there have been a lot of 80s silhouettes going down the runway. We definitely talked mm -hmm. about Marc Jacobs' yeah. uh, silhouettes. I mean, um, his looked that, like from an 80s anime. They looked like Vampire Hunter. Yeah, big time. but that same year, we watched a Prada show. I don't know if you remember. 
and everything was highlighter. It colors. was. No, I remember because I didn't like it. And you yeah. said everybody loved it. And... Yeah, it was like all neon pink, neon green, orange. They also looked like suitcases, though. All the dresses to me looked like well, they were walking in luggage. Well, I mean, Prada's kind of known for working with like modern materials. She really embraced nylon and all the different ways you can use Mutra Prada. Uh, nylon really early on and she was a secretary i think for the communist party in yeah. milan or whatever that's interesting okay yeah in, the, so in like the 70s nylon, when shit was really kicking off in italy yeah around nylon is uh, i mean when prada does nylon it's not inexpensive but nylon and if you like ever get like a classic prada black bag they're nylon with the classic prada logo like uh, nylon is not inexpen- is not expensive. It's yeah. actually like an extremely utilitarian material. Yeah. Uh, so it's cool that she uses that and kind of like plastics and other, um, I think, more utilitarian materials yeah. to create really unique silhouettes and shapes. I mean, yeah, I didn't love that show. It's not, I wouldn't wear those clothes necessarily. But it was interesting. But I feel like that's when the it started to like percolate that these neon colors were really okay. coming, you yeah. know? And over the last couple of years, uh, and definitely watching like the latest couture shows and stuff, there's a lot of neon. Yeah. And there's neon now trickling down. Mostly pink and yellow, it seems like. And green. Okay. Like, But yesterday we were in Cypress, Texas, and there was a girl with neon green, neon yellow high heels and all the people we were with were like oh i really like those heels you know <laughs> and i was like oh it's coming it's coming you know it's everywhere now right i mean it's really like if it's in cypress texas i guess it's everywhere you know yeah so i was just wanted to talk about that a little bit um it's interesting to me that neon is coming back as such a strong trend uh, because, as I'm sure we talked about in a previous fashion episode, the 80s obviously kind of mapped on to the bush. I mean, I think... That's our dog. That's some... Digging. That's some, uh... What do you call Oh my it? god, look at her. Hey, it's okay. <laughs> that's some audio verite there. <laughs> we probably talked about in a previous episode, like... About how... Politics affects fashion. It affects style. It affects the way people look and the way they want to look and feel. And so you have these overlapping um, things like where the style of the 80s really came back in the early 2000s. Like popped collars were huge when we were kids, right? Like, Mm -hmm. And that's straight from the 80s. And actually, I remember back then wearing some neon, um, like those black sunglasses that have the neon... um, what are they called? The like little handles that go on your ear. Oh, totally. The little bars, you know. Yeah, yeah. That's a very eighties look. I feel like everybody was talking about John Hughes and yeah. Heather's. Definitely. Well, yeah, I think so. I mean, that's when I first watched the Heather's. It's. I. I don't think it's surprising that we've had an eighties revival under Trump, and we talked about. I think in the past, like the garish colors that Gucci was bringing back. Those kind of like primary, uh, like color green and red mm-hmm. and even some browns yeah. and oranges. And Kellyanne Conway was wearing Gucci, right? right? yeah. Yeah, a lot of primary red. I think were, she was wearing a lot of red. And mm-hmm. I think blue, too. Of course, America, red, white, and blue. Yeah, yeah. So uh, so we've kind of talked about that. And we talked about the silhouettes um, changing and, and 
coming back to that 80s silhouette. And like I said, there's obviously been this trend of neon colors coming back. Um, so I wanted to talk a little bit about neon colors specifically um, and why that might be. Why is this aesthetic suddenly like becoming ascendant, right? Like, um, I guess it's been becoming ascendant over the last few years, but I think it's definitely here now. Uh, and if you look even like, I think in Target right now, like in the kids section, there are like bright pinks and neons, you know, like, um, at, at Bucky's you can buy backpacks yes. that are bright neon colors. And yeah, I did a little tiny bit of reading on this, That's all you <laughs> which need is all I need. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, if you know anything about this podcast, <laughs> that we like to read one chapter from a book and then talk about it for the rest of our days. Um, <laughs> we are definitely uh, not experts. This is real dilettante hours here. Okay. Uh, so basically what I was reading, I actually read about neon, like neon signs. And um, I read about how neon signs were really popular for a period of time. And then they kind of obviously declined because um, it started to, like, on the one hand, they looked extremely modern. And so they were, like, really exciting. But then eventually they started to kind of, um, well, here's here's actually what it says. It what says, decade are you talking about? Well, I think this was just a general Okay. Overview. Neon symbolizes modernity and invention, yet it also represented the decay of modern invention and descent into obs obsoletism. Obsolescence. I know that's what I thought, but it says obsoletism here. Like that's a, why I had to stop for a second. Of I know that's why I had to stop for a second and be like, I'll okay, okay I'm not gonna say what I thought I was gonna say. Okay. So it says a uh, flickering neon sign denotes something formerly glorious formerly shining and bright that has now fallen into ruin without completely losing its power. It's as tacky as it is beautiful. Mm. And even if this particular neon fad fades away, will uh, likely be... Okay, they're talking about the lights. You know what that reminds me of lights. briefly is um, Vox has that one channel where they sent somebody to Hong Kong for some reason to make like Oh, and videos. they talked about the neon lights of yeah, Hong Kong. He yeah, he interviews a guy who is still hand making the classic neon signs. Yeah. Whereas most of them have been replaced by digital, although the digital emulates the look of the neon yeah. signs, obviously. Yeah, and the I video. think, I mean, look, in the 80s, I, people will say, like, I, I did try to read some stuff about, like, why is neon becoming so popular or whatever on, like, fashion blogs and, and why, or, like, why was it popular in the 80s? And people are like, oh, it symbolized the optimism of the decade. After the drab 70s, people were, like, excited for America again. And okay. they were, like, ready to celebrate by wearing neon colors. But I don't think anyone feels optimistic about was, this decade. It was the shining city on the hill, except more garish. <laughs> well, I think the garish part is what matters. Neon yeah. is vulgar. It's tacky. Like, it's saying, it says, look at me. I mean, it's used for signage yeah, to get you to look at. It's commercial. Yes. Yeah. And that's part it of what... It sounds like I'm describing Trump. Like, yeah. tacky, vulgar, garish. Look at me. A person that is embodying a business. Like, a si the signage... Yeah. That's used for business. Those col inspired by those colors is what you're putting on your body. Like that girl wearing those neon heels yesterday. We all know, even though it was dark, everything else was like black. We all noticed her neon heels because they're literally saying, "Look at me, look at me." Yeah. Like, so 
I just think it's so obvious, like, obvious, like, why this is, you know, becoming popular right now. But it's interesting because it's all of the garishness and all of the tackiness without, I think, any of the optimism. Because I don't think, whether you're on the right or the left, no one's optimistic about our future right now. Everyone, Except for, like, Bernie. Okay. the Bernie campaign. But, but otherwise, yeah. But even there, there's a real fear of, if we don't get Bernie in, oh, yeah. what's going to happen, right? Oh, like... Yeah. There's a, from climate change to everything, like, so it's just really interesting that this thing that, if you read a little bit about it, everyone thinks is associated with optimism has come back in. But I think that that it's not about optimism. And it's 100% about, I think both, it's it's undeniable association with business, like the signage aspect. And then taking inspiration from those signs to create clothing that looks like it's being lit from within because the colors are so bright and that combination i think of like i said tackiness and business on your putting that on your person is very interesting to me so and we live in we live in such a hustle culture yeah extremely individualistic and everyone's building their own brand everyone is their own business so you need a sign yeah you're an independent contractor you know you're yeah Uh, That also makes me think about how we were watching the Chanel show. Mm -hmm. Obviously, Karl Lagerfeld died, so somebody else is in charge of it now. Yeah, I forget her name. So there is kind of a big change. And there were neon pinks and neon yellows in their couture outfits. Yeah. We were also talking about how um, every couture show ends with a wedding dress, basically. No, that's not true. Everyone I've seen. (laughs) I think that's just... I think we were watching Ralph and Russo, and they always do that because I think if... No, no, they did it on Chanel. They did it on that show. Did they, they did it on... Uh, every... Okay, well, we watched, to be like, fair, four if shows. it's couture, yeah. they That's the piece... do want to show yeah. you. Like, it's, it, yeah. Are you Kim Kardashian? Are you going to get married soon? We can make your wedding dress. But what we were joking is that every last look was a, a wedding dress, and they were aiming for, like, Qatari princesses. Yeah, because everything all had was sleeves. covered, yeah. Yeah, so I think we also live in a more, especially if you're a luxury brand, we live in a global world. Yeah. And it's not really just Well, with Valentino, America. I mean, for one thing, they had some pieces that were, like, with the head wrap, like, included it, into the garment oh, essentially yeah, they did, yeah. like i mean yeah 100 percent. we yeah. are they're not designing just for rich europeans yeah. at all so there may not be a lot of optimism in america but if you're part mm. of like the rich cosmopolitan international class that's true. um there's i guess some level of optimism that's true I mean, although it is trickling down to regular americans right we're talking about yeah. people in a exurb of houston yeah you know, yeah but I think that has to go with the same sort of hustle culture thing I was talking about. You know, I read one book, so I'll be obsessed with it for six months. I read Heroes by Biafo Berardi on mass murder and suicide. And he says that he doesn't like to call contemporary capitalism neoliberalism. And he doesn't like to call it some other things people like to say too, like late capitalism. He calls it, we're in a period of capitalist absolutism, where... Um, the old notion that capitalism succeeds because we constantly innovate and produce more is completely broken down. And instead, we live in financial capitalism, and wealth instead is driven by squeezing people harder and extracting more value out of what we have access to. Yeah. And in that climate, everybody, um, as you know, a post-Thatcher individual where there is no society, just individuals and their families, 
we all on some level know that we're competing in that society so we don't um we don't actually hate corruption we like it when our guy succeeds yeah so if our guy is trump we don't care if he scams people we don't care if he's vulgar yeah we like that he's succeeding and we identify with him Mm. so that attitude of i'm bright look at me i'm showing off yeah it really plays into like the world we live in currently yeah and the mindset that goes with it yeah and that uh, is the case whether you're in cyprus texas or qatar yeah yeah and if you also think about the early 2000s we were talking about bright orange as being such a trend color right i mean it wasn't exactly this same neon level yeah. it was more of like a i would call it uh, abu Ghraib yeah. <laughs> orange yeah totally <laughs> but um you know again you had in the early 2000s when we were people were driving bright yellow hummers and yeah. you know you had the same kind of trend that came in it just didn't come in i think as strongly as it has i guess maybe we're living in a current moment too where we're mixing some of that bush air stuff in like yeah um, people follow a lot of people follow Aisha Siddiqui on Twitter. Mm-hmm, I follow her. Yeah, she talks about fashion a lot, and she has been talking for years about a resurgence of Bush era right. fashion and culture. Um, yeah, I think I we mean, mentioned her in our last with the recent statements of Trump saying "Go home to Ilhan Omar" and stuff, especially in the response from conservative trying to defend him and saying, "Well, these people hate our country. Yeah, if you hate our country, get out." That's yeah. two thousand three. Totally. That's two thousand three. Returning. Totally. Yeah. 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 So that's really all I had to say about it. I just thought it was interesting and that we should yeah. kind of look at it because I think, I mean, there's makeup palettes coming out that are neon. It's really permeating right now. So I think that as you're, I don't know if people go to the mall anymore. I certainly don't. But, um, you know, if you're in a city or whatever and you start noticing people looking extra flashy, yeah. <laughs> you'll know why. People now go to those outdoor malls yeah. like we did recently. Yeah. You know, malls were an 80s thing, and I guess the 2019 thing is those outdoor places. We went to one at night for an event. Yeah. And there were just so many people hanging yeah. out there. There were kids line dancing in the middle. Yeah. Like, there must have been 50 to 100 people just milling about easy. Yeah. outside, hanging yeah. around. Yeah. And making it feel like this is a normal place to be this is the town square yeah now, i mean malls know? were commercial too this, i guess it's kind of the same yeah thing. well we're commercial but we're also a gathering place right it was like let's go to the mall to be seen and to see our crush yeah. and but we've whatever. like modulated that with a bit of you know professional managerial class liberal culture by yeah. putting it outside yeah well it was, by making it look a bit like a city concentration yeah. you know yeah it was also like depressing as hell to spend time inside a mall yeah when it's like summer and the sun is shining <laughs> why would i go into the dark dank mall where there's a single window you know like yeah i also read that and i know this will upset you that boot cut pants are uh, yeah, that does making me. a comeback. They've been making a comeback for a while, obviously. People have been talking for a while also about skinny jeans being on their way out. We've finally. been binge-watching Monk lately yeah. for some reason. And every time I see like Detective Stottlemyre in his boot cut pants, he looks like a cartoon character. <laughs> it makes you look squat and short. Yeah. It makes you look like you've been yeah. drawn well, exaggerated. I read a fashion person saying that um pants take the longest to permeate into like mainstream Mm -hmm. culture so that's probably why it's taking a while because when you change the cut of your pants it like affects 
everything, like the types of tops you buy, because you need to change the proportions, right? Like if you're mm-hmm. used to wearing skinny cut jeans, yeah. you can't wear like like a crop top with boot cut jeans. I don't know. Maybe that's a look, but it doesn't sound good to me because you would come off so boxy, right? The whole point of a crop top is it's kind of boxy and loose on top, and then you have the tightness of the skinny jeans on the bottom. I feel like that's something you'd see Anna Nicole Smith wear in her show. Yeah, probably. Yeah. I mean, you know... Who is a cartoon character? Yeah. But anyway, the, the point is it takes a while for pants to really permeate, but once they become like a standard, a certain cut, a mm-hmm. certain new pant silhouette takes hold... It's uh, changes kind of everything. Yeah. I have a pant cut recommendation: tight and straight, not too tight. <laughs> we can all agree we went too far with skinny jeans, <laughs> but the main problem is the taper. The yeah. taper became has become like so massive a few years ago. I, I understand people want to rebel and go the opposite direction, but boot cut is not it. Boot no, cut is wrong. boot cut is really not it. Also, I don't know if people's any... crotches are way too dropped. Yeah, got to bring. Bring the we went back up. so tight when we were kids. It yeah. was terrible with low rise tight crotches, yeah. but you know, tight straight, just a good crotch. If you're an adult like me, that's what you should be wearing, in my opinion. Yeah. Hey guys, it's Subitza. I'm editing this episode. And before we move on from this um, fashion topic, I just wanted to really briefly give you some practical tips on how to um, embrace this trend. I do think it's like a trend. I don't. I don't know that I would personally go out and invest uh, in an all-new neon wardrobe or anything. But you know, a really simple way to do it is just to use these neon pieces as uh, to use these neon colors as accent pieces. So buying um, neon pink earrings uh, and maybe a neon pink nail polish or lipstick. Um, just to tie these colors into your outfit. And I've also noticed when I look at pictures of people who are, you know, celebrities or professionally styled for whatever reason, and they're embracing this trend, that um, a lot of times this trend is being paired with uh, white as opposed to um, black, which I think is kind of more the vibe of the 80s and early 90s where you kind of have that... um, you know, laser tag or like party at the skate rink (laughs) kind of vibe. Um, I think this time around it's being paired a lot with white and it's a lot brighter and fresher. And, you know, if you wanted to do just a simple embrace of this, you could easily just wear white t-shirt, you know, light wash denim jeans and I don't know, like hot pink lipstick, like I said, a hot pink earring and maybe a hot pink bag if you really want to go for it, or you don't even have to be that matchy-matchy. But I think just having these little pieces, I mean, the, these colors are so bright that uh, they will pop right away. And um, yeah, so hopefully you're also getting some uh, real value out of this podcast. <laughs> Obviously, you can wear trends however you want to and embrace them, you know, however much or little you desire. But yeah, that's just uh, something I've noticed that I uh, thought that I had said while we were talking, but I guess I didn't. So there you go. All right. Back to the show. Okay. You ready? All right. So the other main topic, let me start over because we were talking over each other a sec. Okay. So the other main topic for today that I thought we should talk about that we're both very irritated about is the 
uh, smear headlines that Bernie Sanders supposedly is not paying. I'm not people. mad. I'm laughing. <laughs> okay. Uh, so for anyone who missed the headline in Washington Post, it was something like Bernie Sanders campaign paying workers less than fifteen dollars an hour, and uh, yeah. What else? Where do, where do I go from that? <laughs> <laughs> well, I sent it to you, and I was kind of like, look, like, I get it. Campaigns are very hard work, and you get paid shit, and there's a reason that I don't work for campaigns anymore, and that's not only because we live in Texas, <laughs> in a very, <laughs> like, small town in Texas, where there's not a lot of campaigns for me to work on. Um, So, I guess... What we wanted to talk about with this is... the. Sorry, let me... I thought of a way to okay. summarize it a bit better. So okay. the story is supposedly that um, the workers are, like, upset. They're getting paid under $15 an hour. They have a union, so they're negotiating with the campaign, like, to get a raise. Right. Right. So that's what Washington Post reported on. The headline is, it turns out wrong basically quite misleading quite misleading to say the the least yeah, yeah. um so the it turns do you want me to just yeah why don't you summarize yeah and then we'll talk about okay. it a little more so i said this when we saw the headline i'm i bet it, what it turns out is that they're working more than 40 hours a week and they're on salary and when you divide it out for you get paid less than and that's true is yeah that's what it turned out to be in the article the actual article instead of just the headline it says that he's paying the lowest level staffers, okay, the lowest level staffers are getting 36000 salary a year is plus free health insurance. Quite good. That's, that's like the median <laughs> wage in this country yeah. without health insurance. It's quite good. I can tell you that it wasn't until my last political job that I made a bit more than that. I know. And he's offering a 30% raise. Okay. I didn't get that at entry level. I think the first political job that i had that wasn't like perg or something where i had a salary i was making about i don't want to lie let's say 17 to twenty thousand. and you were working on commission and you were performing no, no, well beyond the after perg <laughs> okay, after your actual entry yes. level job yeah okay that yeah. was the first like organizing job that i had and that's what they could pay me because by the way campaigns organize it's based on fundraising. So a big part of it is, first of all, whatever they fundraise. I know that Bernie's fundraising very well. Mm-hmm. He's a top fundraiser. I get it. But just keep that in mind yeah. to start. And uh, the other campaigns, like it turns out Elizabeth Warren came out like four months ago and said, we're definitely going to pay our interns. And it comes out they're not paying their interns. Yeah. They're finding loopholes to not yeah. even pay interns. Of course. The Sanders campaign doesn't because have Because campaigns unpaid. have run on unpaid labor. Yeah forever (laughs) yeah so this is a bunch of okay and then uh so even before the article came out he was already offering a 30 percent raise to 46.8 thousand a year which is Mm -hmm. a great weight salary for most people in this country but in in politics it's even better than average like so much better like for the it's so good like i talked about this on street fight a long time ago but you can go back. It's, I think, an extra, like, bonus app or whatever. But you could probably go back and find it if you were a straight fight yeah, patron yeah. or whatever. But what happens when you work for... 
I think in my experience, both nonprofits, but definitely for campaigns, is that you're exploited based on the fact that you're a true believer. Yeah. So because you're a true believer, they know that they can pay you, whether it's a salary or an hourly rate, doesn't really matter because you will still end up doing a lot of labor for free or extra labor beyond what's expected in the workday because you believe in the candidate and you want to get them elected and they know that you're driven by that. So across the board, in my experience, unless you're working, I don't know, maybe like if you're in a really big nonprofit, like the Red Cross or something, maybe you can make a lot of money there. I don't know. But in most small grassroots nonprofits mm-hmm. and uh, political campaigns that are At grassroots led it's not on the right i'm yeah. sure where you have billionaires yeah. willing to fund forty-six thousand a year unheard of yeah. <laughs> like, unless you're a consultant or something again for a top but it's a good salary for most americans it is a great I salary mean, so yeah so that's basically the problem there's a lot of people that have come out being lefter than thou saying how oh, dare other, you yeah uh yeah. How dare you say that they shouldn't complain or whatever because we've got to be in solidarity with workers even against Bernie Sanders. I know. Those people don't know what they're talking about. Those aren't people that worked on a campaign. It's, you know, I like Libby Watson, but she was one of the people saying that that got a lot of attention. She just, she's a freelance writer. She doesn't yeah. work on a campaign. Yeah. She doesn't she know has what no idea like. what she's talking about. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, I like her too, but no. Um, yeah. Basically, like, what I want to say about this more than anything is, do I believe that people deserve to be paid fair wages and compensated fairly for their labor, especially on campaigns where you work very long hours? Yes. But let them go work for anybody else, any other campaign, and they will have most of these people, based on what we're talking about, like entry-level staffers, dramatic pay cut that they would have to take. I wanted to work for DSA, by the way. You know why I never worked for DSA? Because they fucking offered like 20000 a year <laughs> to be an organizer and you had to be based in NYC. Yeah. Like, it's... I'm not saying that these people, again, shouldn't be compensated or that they shouldn't be supported by us for what? Yeah. being compensated fairly. Of course they should. But you are dreaming if you think that they're not being compensated fairly yeah. right now. What you're saying is they're being compensated far above average for this industry, uh, which is to Bernie Sanders' credit. Yes. And for the people working on his campaign who leaked it to the Washington Post. That's the thing. Okay, this is where I get a little conspiratorial. Yeah. I'm sorry. Maybe, you know, this is a cold piece of writing podcast. So I love conspiracies. <laughs> Yeah, I just ha- I said to Adam, the first thing I said is, like, I wonder if there's some wreckers in the campaign. Because it's very easy. Because if you were sent to be a wrecker in this campaign, all, all you have to do to become a member of any campaign, especially a like, low-level staffer, right? yeah, is have some very basic organizing experience. Or just give a really great interview. Or be in an area where they don't have a lot of options and they have to hire some staffers locally. Yeah. Like, so you could get in. You could very easily start saying, oh, well, when you think about it, we're not really being paid $15 an hour. If he's living his values, we should really be getting paid more and get a a few people together to complain about it and then go to the press and go leak it to Jeff Bezos's paper, by the way. That's what to me looks like what 
a wrecker yeah. would do. Because no doubt that they should... I'm glad they unionized. That's incredible. I... I was a person who was saying on campaigns, hey, it's weird that we're buying union-made materials because we're so dedicated as progressives, because I had to work for progressives. There were no socialists mm-hmm. when I was working, except Bernie. Uh, you know, um, we're so dedicated. We're buying union-made materials. We're only using print shops that are union. But we're yeah, yeah. not unionized. Then, we're definitely getting paid less than minimum yeah, yeah. wage. And then one of your coworkers who had more experience than yeah, you came to and was like, you're right, but you got to watch what yeah, you're saying. Yeah, you got to stop saying that. <laughs> <laughs> so I am 100% with these people in every way, except leaking into the press, yeah. who are extremely hostile to Bernie Sanders. Are we going to get, like, uh, yeah, about how Elizabeth, are we going to get coverage on Elizabeth Warren's campaign like this? Are no. we going to get coverage? What's Pete Buttigieg paying people? No, he also doesn't pay interns. Yeah, of course. Yeah. So, uh, uh, yes, organize. Yes, you should be compensated fairly. Yes, the campaign is fundraising and you deserve a raise. I'm sure they're working their asses off, most people that are in that campaign. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but don't. You have, if you, I I guess this is where, what we were talking about earlier. Sometimes if you're going to be in a populist movement that's about creating real change, you have to be a little less individualistic. Yeah. You have to subjugate yourself a little bit to the cause. Not flatten yourself in the way that fear mongers say about what communism does to people yeah or not let you know your employer exploit of course your do-gooder attitude of course like you say exactly in the industry all the time but we need bernie sanders to win <laughs> yeah. their lives our lives millions of other people's lives will be way better if bernie sanders wins So rather than giving ammo to the opposition during a sensitive time, like, you know, a campaign, work within, create pressure within. You're already unionized. Like, you have channels within. And they already were negotiating. That's a detail I started saying and I didn't finish, but they were already being offered a 30% raise to 47,000 or whatever. The problem is that uh, they're being paid just under it's thirty seven or thirty eight thousand. When mm-hmm. you're paid just under that level, your health care is free. So they have to get a raise big enough to offset the cost of they'll have to pay for part of their health care now. Which is a lot. And, and again, that's that's what the negotiation is over. So they're already negotiating that and during the negotiation they leak it to get leverage against the yeah. campaign they're working for. Yeah. A, a campaign that's fighting for the benefit of all workers in the country. Yeah. Like, yeah, like, don't be you're so... You're selfish. Yeah. This is, I guess, the partly the demands of the society we live in, where we're all individuals, where capitalism makes money absolutistly yeah. by just squeezing us more. Yeah. But you got to not succumb to that. Yeah. And you should be... You're working in politics. Be a little more deft with, like... The politics of this situation. Yeah, yeah you can you can get what more of what you want without sabotaging yeah. the campaign at all. Like. Yeah, I mean it's really frustrating to see on so many levels because it just don't give anybody ammo to say Bernie's a hypocrite. He's the least hypocritical politician you know that's ever run for president, yeah. probably. Yeah, but they keep trying to come up with these tiny smears. Yeah, to smear him. 
to make him look like a hypocrite. Yeah. They're going to keep talking about how he's a millionaire because he made a lot of money off of his book. They're going to keep talking about this. Yeah. Also, this is, again, not a regular employment situation. This is short term. It's extremely yeah. intense. The hours are extreme. They're always like, going to have to work more than 40 hours a week. A hundred percent. Yeah. They sh- Again, they should be compensated for their time. But when you're talking about, okay, so they need to be given a raise and then they need to be given a higher raise to offset the costs of paying for their medical benefits. Otherwise, yeah. they'll actually be bringing less home than they were originally. Yeah. Okay, but that's all money we're taking away from other areas of the campaign, right? right? Yeah. So that's the other aspect of this. This is money that's given by people like us, like $27 at a time to the campaign, and then they have to decide how to allocate it. This is not a productive industry. You can't apply like a classic Marxist economic lens. Exactly. He's not siphoning off your surplus value. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Everything that you're putting into the campaign, you're getting back when he's elected. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? It's not like you're putting in a bunch of work into creating widgets and then you get, you know, he gets the surplus and you get a tiny piece of the value. Yeah. If he becomes president, that you're working for him because you believe he should be president. That's part of the payoff. It's a different situation. But some people aren't you know like simone sanders jumped ship some people jump ship because a lot of people are in this just for a job for just for a career just yeah. for to that's, be part of an industry that's a lot of the reason i left because when you realize that it's fucking depressing yeah. and if you're a true believer like me it's very hard that's, to work with those that's people one of the, and not that's one of the reasons you hated uh, <laughs> that's one of the reasons you hated netroots nation when you went yeah. because everybody was so obsessed with furthering their personal brand yeah. and networking and yeah yeah I think the other motivation is the same as the people like Libby Watson who are saying, do better, Bernie, and whatever, yeah. you know. it's That's a mindset we have to get past. I like, know, it's so irritating. You should at least be skeptical of these headlines yeah. when they come out. But everybody on the left is, let's be honest, so obsessed with saying, like, I'm right. Yeah. I'm the most good. Lefter than that. I'm the smartest. Yeah. yeah. Like, that is one of the things that's going to kill us. Yeah. You've got to let that go. Yeah. Uh, also... Part of that and is trying saying, to point out, oh, someone's a hypocrite, like you were saying. Like, yeah, that's, I know. Oh, I under I showed that you don't really believe what you say you believe because here's a situation where you were hypocritical. Everyone's hypocritical. Everyone fucks up. <laughs> Calm down. Yeah, even like the hardline communist people have the inter like intra disputes over uh, was Stalin bad or whatever. Yeah. Like, but they just think like, oh, everything Maybe about Lennon. the system. I think everyone thinks Stalin was bad, right? They should. Yeah. I mean. <laughs> but, you know, a lot of people think, a lot of people who think Stalin was bad think everything else was good. Mm. And they just needed a better person to be in charge, oh, of right? That's not true. I mean, I, anyway, that's a digression. But uh, another part of that that's a huge problem is everybody wants to be more cynical than everybody yeah. else. Like, you, we got to let go of the cynicism. Yeah. That's what. I think that's what ruined it in 2016. I feel like yeah. people wanted to be so knowing. Like I told, I think I've said here, like that's we like wanting to know the right answer is like our greatest enemy. I know. <laughs> you know what I mean? To electing Bernie because everyone wanted to say can't happen. I would elect him. Yeah. I would like Bernie to, but a socialist in America, no way. I know that that even can't people happen. who would never vote for him, no matter yeah. what, said that. Yeah. You know, like. That's just a mindset we got to get rid of a little bit. Yeah. Um, yeah. 
Yeah, so don't don't be a fool. Don't fall for the headlines. Don't be gullible. Don't immediately... You know that last time around, the Washington Post in eight hours put 16 negative <laughs> headlines out against Bernie Sanders. Yeah. I mean, get real. Like, don't be so gullible just because you see... You're not a boomer. Maybe you are, but... Probably if you're listening to this podcast, you're not a boomer. Just because you see it in print or, you know, on a website that looks newsy on the internet, you know, to be skeptical, right? Like, the Washington Post has its own interests, like any other institution. Like, don't fall for it right away. I mean, maybe they're not wreckers. Maybe they're just idiots. I don't know. (laughs) But either way, that's not automatically a good reason to pile on with criticism against bernie and especially not right now like not the fact that people are piling on the critics people supposedly who support him pile on the criticism without even reading the article they yeah. just read the headline yeah if you had read the article you would have seen yeah. what they're this was compensated. really about like, they're not not being compensated yeah. for their work you know um so yeah i think that's something to think about because of course we are very like i've talked about like a especially on that Street Fight episode about how much work uncompensated work I put in working in politics. Like I am someone who is extremely sensitive to the need for I think like more regulation in that industry in regards to um, working hours and compensation and things like that. But Bernie's campaign is not. If anything, they're like a model for how it could go yeah, better. Yeah, totally. They're not like the back of the pack or anything he's not being hypocritical and this is a non-story and if you support labor you should support the candidate that supports labor with his email list literally the only candidate that sends out emails encouraging people to give to very to show up to organize to show up to uh strikes and picket lines and to that uses it to fundraise for um various various political yeah, yeah. actions i can't even think of you know all of them now because he's done so many of them like, you know where else i see this mindset i'm describing where it's more cynical and both holier than thou when people talk about bernie on foreign policy or compare him to elizabeth warren i i've seen a lot of you know not too heated arguments on twitter between like one person who's supporting bernie and like one person who's supporting tulsi gabbard and saying mm. tulsi's better on foreign policy bernie's not as strong on anti-intervention or whatever all of that's wrong that's yeah. not true at all yeah um tulsi gabbard called herself a hawk on the war on terror yeah like she it has no problem bombing comes to people. bombing muslim countries yeah <laughs> but because we are so acculturated to this both uh, this mindset where we're both more cynical and purer than thou yeah uh when they say that to the bernie supporter the bernie supporter usually says like well that's i know but yeah. And then they give some defense of why Bernie's a better choice anyway. Or they say, oh, somebody will tell Bernie supporter Warren, Elizabeth Warren has better plans. Her plans are better. They're more thorough. And the Bernie supporter will say, well, I know that's true, but something or else like Mm. he's more electable, which is true. Or he'll be better at getting those his plans done, which is true. She doesn't have better plans than Or Elizabeth Warren isn't running to be king. She can't give decrees. It doesn't matter. Elizabeth Warren doesn't even have a plan on immigration. Yeah. 
or foreign policy. Yeah. Which are the things the president would be in charge of. Like the where the president has the most influence by far, especially yeah. foreign policy, practically unilaterally. Like But when we have we're just so accultured to that mindset, yeah. when somebody tells it to you, you just assume it's true because it accords with that Yeah. your own self-perception that you need to be cynical and hyper left in mm. some moralistic way. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay, I'm ranting a little, I guess. Oh, I just don't have anything else to say about it. You just just tell me I'm right over and You're over. You're right. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I guess that's a, a podcast. You don't want to talk about Netroots Nation again. I mean, I talked about it on, on street that fight. Street Fight app, actually. Yeah. If you want to look it up. Um, you know, I saw some people saying, like, why did so few candidates go to Street, uh, to street Fight? To Netroots Nation? Um, and, you know, the answer is because even though those people are some of the most bootlickery assholes you could ever <laughs> hope to meet, uh, the Democratic Party still thinks of them as the blogger activists of the early <laughs> 2000s, and they don't want their candidate to go there and be, you know, asked a tough question, even though most of those people, like, we were saying earlier, are obsessed with furthering their careers. That's why they're there and networking. Yeah. And they, like, come when they're in proximity to power, you know? <laughs> so they would absolutely not be challenged in any meaningful way. But that's why people are, like, candidates are not going to Netroots Nation, except for Bernie, who rightfully should not go, because Marcos Melitzos has a fucking psychotic, like, vendetta against Bernie, although I don't for unclear reasons why beyond you know he offended mother hillary yeah like i like your story about when you went you you went out to dinner with some people and <laughs> you're sitting there and people are nudging you like do you know who you're sitting next to do you know who that is that's marcos <laughs> that's marcos Melitza. yeah and i was like uh, who and they're like you know like coast like daily coast i was like oh that old blog from the <laughs> bush years because even back then it was irrelevant we're talking like 2012 or something 2011 i don't know yeah <laughs> he's the whole reason we're doing this it's like the least impressive person you've ever met in your life yeah <sighs> yeah and as i talked about at street fight uh it was an extremely horny uh, yes. conference <laughs> you know I, I listened to the chapo guys and i think that they really missed out not having mm -hmm. a uh, woman come with them to Netroots <laughs> because it's extremely horny. They missed out on the whole culture of it, it sounds like. Yeah. Because they thought it would be like CPAC. Yeah. CPAC is... Normal people go to CPAC, yeah, right? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. And this is like professional left. Yeah, this is the core of the, yeah. the professional So, uh, yeah, when we were there, a guy that I met that I thought was friendly... Uh, tried to kiss me, gave no indication that I wanted to be kissed. Luckily, I didn't even know it was going to happen. Luckily, my friend literally, like, as he was coming in, just pulled me out of the way because I was so just not, just not expecting it. It would have been a kiss from nowhere. Yeah. I don't know what he was thinking. Then the next night, uh, I went, or another night, the, the final party was like, um, 
this big party where they got a marching band to lead us from the hotel to where the party was happening. Yeah, and you know that Providence, Rhode Island tradition of I marching know, it band was so lines. Stupid. But anyway, okay. Uh, so we went to the party, and then after a while, it's getting late. People are getting more drunk. The comedian, who I think is still hired by Netroots Nation <laughs> to uh, be a left comedian there, um, or he definitely has like a left presence on the internet. Yeah, he's got a lot of follows. Yeah. Uh, at one point, whipped out his dick and was like, fully dick out grinding on some woman that my friend was like that's not his wife by the way (laughs) what the fuck is happening here and then as i was leaving i really needed to pee and i was trying to walk back with a group of people to uh get back to the hotel yeah and then uh I think predatory guy basically I thought it was like with a group that we were going to his hotel room to pee because other people needed to pee too and then I realized at one point oh it's just me and him now yeah and I'm scared yeah and I need to get the fuck out of here and he's like very like aggressive about trying to get me into his hotel room like I went up the stairs even with him because I just didn't I just didn't, I don't know, like, I have been lucky to not have too many negative experiences with you, men. You and talked I have, about how in college you had a lot of, you a lot of guy friends yeah, who looked who out looked for out you for me. pulled yeah. you out of a couple things like yeah, that. Yeah, so. so I just, I'm too trusting, perhaps, of men, <laughs> I guess, I don't know. Uh, but yeah, he was, at some point I realized when he was getting so insistent that I go inside his hotel room to pee, I was like, wait a like, there's like, alarm like a voice in the back of my head was like you need to get the fuck out of here you know and i just literally like just ducked him and yeah. ran out of the hotel and i know we were together at the time i obviously wasn't there and you told I people you. you have a boyfriend and oh stuff, yeah and yeah cared. well people yeah. with me also knew i have a boy you know what i yeah, mean like yeah. i'm not hiding or like trying to it would be also like uh, everyone wants to network, so they want to know your Facebook and stuff like that. So they could have also easily seen that's that I have true, a partner. Yeah. That's should, not uh, what it's about. We should also be clear, this was before Me Too, so now yeah. I'm sure it's totally, you know, oh, yeah. uh, uh, 100% yes. perfect. Yeah. You know? yeah. But yeah, it's like, it's honestly, in my experience, one of the most predatory, horny places <laughs> that I've ever been. Like, it's only three days long, but in my mind, it's like I was there for a week. Like, whenever I think back on it, and then I hear, oh, it was three days, I'm like, what? Like... And when people aren't being horny, they're hustling. Yeah, yeah. extremely transactional. Yeah. Extremely, like, just weird. And also a very anti-left. I mean, these people, mm-hmm. I don't know how it is now, but when I was there... Well, they're not pro-Bernie now. They weren't... A, okay, Alan Grayson walked by, and at the time, he was, like, one of the few progressive members of mm-hmm. Congress, and I liked that he was willing to appropriate the rights. Like, he would wear, like, an American flag mm-hmm. tie and say, I'm patriotic yeah, yeah. and stuff like that. I think like his that. most high-profile thing was when he was on the Senate House floor, probably. Yeah, he's and a he had member. a uh, display about Obamacare, and he was like, "Republicans want to kill people," and he had graphs <laughs> about how they want people to die. Yeah. Like, yeah. So I wanted to meet him because I don't know, it was cool to me, and I liked his politics. Mm-hmm. 
And then he was excited to find out the organization I worked for, and he wanted to meet like the principal of the organization. I was like, sure, like yeah, he's a high profile guy. People would know. Yeah, Yeah. they would, and he they should like know each other anyway. And so, and they kind of did. So then Alan Grayson had to do something, but I told him like where we were gonna be, and then he came. And he came back with like a corned beef sandwich. That's cool. Guy, I like that. Which was so nice, I thought. <laughs> yeah. But everyone else was like, ah, oh, he's so weird. Oh, the corned beef sandwich smells weird. It smells like corned beef. Calm down. Like, you know. But even back, they were like finding ways to marginalize this uh, at a guy, progressive, yeah. supposedly, conference. This progressive guy that was... He turned out to be horny too. I think he like fucked, I don't know, a maid or someone younger and had to leave his wife. So, you know, <laughs> very horny place is yeah. all I'm trying to say. That's funny. Yeah. Conferences in general are not the one I went to for my work. Yeah. Which was like a Oracle conference. users group conference yeah. full of people who, I think it's also because people are mostly immigrants. Like they're very serious people. Yeah. And you're on an H-1B and you're trying to have a career in America. Yeah. You know, they're not going there to fuck. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think a lot of these people are kind of like horny political nerds, like career political nerds, you know, who like get into the rat race of it and move from like town to town doing consulting and working for campaigns. And they do work really long hours. And you, if you have to move for work, you don't know many people. Yeah, yeah. So then when you come somewhere where there are other people like you, I think there is a sense of like, oh, these people get me. And this is a place where I can like fuck someone because yeah, yeah. it's my people as opposed to going into places where it's strangers all the time yeah. you know i went i was only like 17 when i went to my last anime con but it was like that for sure yeah at least for you know older people who were drinking and stuff yeah yeah <laughs> yeah yeah so all right thanks for sharing your experiences with us <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah i was young and dumb but yeah it's also a conference i would never go back to <laughs> personally <laughs> Okay. Uh, thanks for listening. I guess we can wrap it up there. Yeah. Um, I'll play some music to take us out because on the last episode we were going to put out and didn't put out. I I did it too, remember? I, let me start over. Nobody needs to know that. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So yeah, thanks for listening. I guess we can wrap it up there. I'll play some music to take us out. Um, I've been getting a lot of great Chinese and Taiwanese band recommendations from YouTube because... Um, you know, I love My Little Airport and I love Skip Skip Ben Ben. So, uh, one of the bands I've really been liking that they gave to me is Decca Joins. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So, I don't really like this turn in indie music where everything's like soft funk and uh, smooth jazz. Yeah. <laughs> Easy listening. <laughs> yeah. And in America, in the West, it's all really depressed almost. Yeah. Almost everyone I've heard has been really depressed. We do like uh, Men I Trust. We mm, like that. Yes. One. Yeah. There's a few I like. But Decca Joins, I really, really like. Every East Asian band who does that type of music is like... Optimistic. Optimistic, sunny, happy. It's not a good sign for America's future. But uh, Decca Joins is actually a bit more melancholic, and I I really like it. So I'll play one of their songs here. They're they're cool. Okay, cool. Well, like Adam said, thank you so much for listening. You can find us at Cold Pizza Party on iTunes and SoundCloud. Adam's at Bone Camaro on Twitter, and I'm at Cold Pizza Party on Twitter, too. And, um, 
Thanks for listening. Yeah. We'll see you again soon. Yeah. We love you. Bye. Bye.